coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. Email has been one of the biggest things that we've seen make a huge difference for small companies because it's, it's very affordable to do, especially on a small level. Yeah. Uh, but if you're a, a, a local, you know, Joe's gun shop, and you've got two or 3,000 emails, the ability to reach out to those consumers that are not stepping into your store and let them know what's happening is huge mm-hmm. without having to worry about the cost of snail mail and, and some of the other uh, more expensive ways to reach this user base. It's, it's incredibly efficient to send out mailers. And, and we've really focused around doing, again, what companies do, distilling it down and doing what they do best and just being able to find new ways to, to let people know that. It's, it's low-hanging fruit for almost all of these companies. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Up next on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Charles Anderson from Gat Marketing. Now, Charles is in the firearm marketing industry, so he helps manufacturers and distributors and gun store owners market their companies. And I wasn't quite sure how targeted we were going to be on the actual firearms industry, but to tell you the truth, we covered a great deal of information that really just revolves around marketing uh, itself. So if you're into guns, if you like guns, you know this is a great episode for you. But also, this this episode covers a lot of topics, you know, how to market your physical store, how to market a digital store, how to expand your online presence. And, you know, he gave insights into how to use Facebook and how not to use Facebook. And we just covered a hell of a lot of information. It was a a lot of fun. So uh, I hope you enjoy today's episode on Pass the Secret Sauce with Charles Anderson. I grew up in a very, very religious family and it was, it was the traditional, you know, home. My, my father went out and worked. He, he was uh, excessive at working to be able to make sure that he, he fed the four kids um, that he had on a, on a very limited education. So typical, typical kind of, you know, mom stayed at home, raised the kids, took care of everything. Dinner was always precisely on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, the minute my dad would walk in, he could come in, sit down, eat. Um, and it was, it was great. You know, there, I've got, you know, three siblings, you know, my parents and being able to hear what my dad encountered in business and, and what was going on in his day. And then my brothers are much older than I am. And Kind of getting to look forward to see you know the types of cool things that they were doing that i wasn't allowed to do yet and mm-hmm. as they started working learning about what they were doing and 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 really having that that closeness so it was it was an enjoyable experience and something that i've worked very hard to carry over with with my own family um, now that i have my own kids and yeah that's great it's there yeah that's great that's great was your dad an entrepreneur too you mentioned you know he was in business was he did he have his own company as well he did. So he he had he had started in retail. He when he got out of the military, he got a, a job in retail, mm-hmm. and he'd always he'd always wanted to be a blacksmith. Interestingly, oh, enough. very cool. 
I know it's a, it's a super weird thing, right? We growing up and, and my dad was really big into working with metal and working with his hands and, and building stuff. There wasn't a huge demand for locksmiths in New York where yeah. I grew up. So he actually got into locksmithing um, and, and started a locksmith shop. And, and I started working at the locksmith shop at the age of about eight or nine. Okay. So it was, it was one of those things where I got to see what it really takes. You know, it's not just being good at your job. It's being able to get marketing out there, being able to do accounting, being able to forecast purchasing. I mean, when you're a single entrepreneur business, you know, you're wearing every hat imaginable. So it was nice to be able to, to, to get that ingrained in me in such a young age. And I, I think it's part of what allowed me to become an entrepreneur myself. Yeah, no, I love it. That, that very similar story to mine. You know, I, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family as well. And, you know, same thing started working when I was very, very young and uh, certainly served. And I'm, I'm assuming that that, you know, absolutely, you know, kind of forged you and, and carved out your path that, you know, you wanted to, to go down rather than, um, you know, working for somebody else, you, you probably had a, an inkling very early on that you wanted to, to start your own company and do your own thing, correct? You know, it was, it was interesting. You know, my dad's business didn't really take off, you know, mainly because of what we're talking about. He was, he was a fantastic locksmith. He was incredibly generous. You know, if, if, if a little old lady locked herself out of the house at, at 11 o'clock at night, you know, he wouldn't charge that, uh, that fee to come and yeah. open the door for her. So we struggled a lot, really poor as a family because of the business decisions. And it's interesting because when I left to go out on my own, I started with the idea of becoming a stockbroker, um, okay. and being able to have a consistent means of being able to support for myself and my family. And it was really the, the entrepreneurial side of what my dad brought to me was actually a fear of going out and doing it from seeing it not work and, and seeing that there's really so many aspects that even when I started my business, you know, that, that are, that are terrifying, right? Yeah. The advantage I would say is actually, which, you know, you look at Edison and any of the famous inventors, they always tell you that failures are what they learn the most from you know, mm-hmm. the first three companies I started fail horribly. Right? Yeah. And, and it was those failures with my father's issues with being able to run the company that gave me the knowledge to say, you know what, I'm not an expert in everything and, and really building a company with enough finances up front to be able to bring on people that could do things that I couldn't do, right? Mm-hmm. I know accounting is not my forte in any, yeah. in any way, shape or form. So yes, it was, it was informative, but it, it actually put a, a, a big fear in my heart of doing it, having, having seen it failed and the results of what that causes to a family. When that happens. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's an interesting perspective. I don't think I've no one's necessarily had that perspective before. And so, so you had these few failure uh, f- uh, companies that failed before. What what made you keep going? I mean, you've you know, up until that point, you saw your dad struggle. You've obviously struggled with a couple of a couple of failed companies. What do you think gave you the the inclination to keep going if everything kept failing? So you know. I think part of it came down to is, is I didn't, because of the, the failures that my father had, I didn't trust myself enough when I went okay. and started my first company. And when I started my first company, I, I started as, as a, a smaller partner. I, I bought into an operation with somebody that I trusted very much. What I found was when it came down to decision-making processes, if it was in the area of sales or marketing, they very heavily leaned on what I had to say. But when it came into other aspects of the business, you know, they, they did what I had asked them to do in the first place of saying, well, if you guys have more experience in this place, 
but they weren't taking the recommendations and the, and the thoughts that I had. Okay. And I quickly realized that the first three companies failed because I had partners and the, the partners were, were great people. I'm, I'm still friends with most of the guys that I had done business with in the past, but ultimately I had a vision and I had an idea and it wasn't until I saw that trying to rely on other people's visions in my company was what was holding me back that I really took that huge, super fearful leap of saying, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this myself. And I'm going to, if this fails, this fails because it's my fault and there's yeah. no other room or anybody else to blame for that. So, and I'm glad for punishment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's one thing that all entrepreneurs always seem to, to have is, you know, you keep going back for more, no matter what, you know, you just, just keep slugging away at it. So no, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. Explain what you do today and how you got into that. And, and maybe you even had gotten into a different industry first and it kind of morphed into what it is today. I'm not quite sure, but just curious to see, you know, that, that, you know, that story of seeing that opportunity and this is what I want to do. Talk a little bit about, you know, that, that generation of, uh, you know, how that all started. So, you know, I've been very blessed, you know, and I, I hate the hashtag blessed all over the internet kind of thing, but I, I, I have to honestly say I've been very blessed. I grew up in New York and graduated high school in the mid nineties, mm -hmm. um, right when the IPO, the private placements, the small firms, the NASDAQ firms were becoming really a big thing. And I'd always had a background in sales. I've always enjoyed sales. I like talking to people. Um, as you're going to see on this podcast, you know, getting them to shut up is the biggest problem. <laughs> so, you know, it, it turned into a situation where I realized becoming a stockbroker was probably the right thing for me. You know, I got to talk to people all over the country. I got to talk to successful business owners. I got to do some really cool things. And I happened to have gotten into that market right when that was exploding. Okay. And in the mid nine, in the late nineties, early two thousands, we started taking a bunch of companies public. You know, I had gone, you talked about my dad earlier, I had gone from a, a family where we were making fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year to support a family of four, to making fifteen dollars to $20,000 a month at yeah. 19 years old. Right? Yeah. So there was a, a drastic change in that. And my series eight turned to me and he said, we're, you know, we're a bunch of idiots. We took this uh, internet company public. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, right? Like, I just did $25,000 gross today on yeah. this, this IPO. We're doing fine. He said, no, the future is the internet. And he convinced me into walking away from the brokerage industry and getting into web development right as the time that the internet development started taking off. So I got to ride this incredible wave through the finance market, then got to ride this incredible wave of venture capital, private equity through the dot-com explosion. You know, ultimately that bubble popped. When that bubble popped, we started getting into affiliate marketing and credit card processing on the internet, which was again this other incredible wave that kind of came out of nowhere. And then luckily I wound up meeting a venture capital company that we had done some work with who knew my background, knew my history and said, Hey, you know, we, we, we want somebody that has the marketing and the digital experience that you have, but also has finance experience and can go into these dog and pony shows and, and meet with these individuals. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't a lot of individuals in the market that had gone from, you know, series seven high pressure sales tactics to HTML coding, right? Yeah. In 2002, yeah. 2003 kind of thing. So went into that. And then as, as far as this exact venture, it was, it was really interesting. The, the CEO that we were working with um, that was running the venture capital firm, it was a small firm, about a hundred million dollar firm. 
had developed Parkinson's to a point where the, the stress from running the firm was getting to be a, a serious issue. And at the same time, I had moved from New York to Michigan and Michigan gun laws are a lot different than New York gun laws. And it started getting into shooting, started getting into competitive shooting. And oddly enough, I started posting on Facebook about my, my you know, going out and doing this and competing in a thing. And uh, my wife at the time said, you know, you're, you're really pissing off all your friends, right? Maybe, maybe you should take this gun stuff someplace else. So I started a new page on Facebook back in the, you know, the early days of when it was super easy and uh, started a page and just told my friends, hey, if you're into the gun stuff I'm pushing, go check this out. And all of a sudden it just started gaining followers, right? Le left and right. And in a matter of like two or three months, we had 6,000 followers. And I'm like, wow, why, why is there 6,000 people that care what I think yeah. about you know, the firearms industry? And we started working with companies and they'd started sending us products and you know, the earlier days of influencer marketing before social media was the, the big way to do it, right? It was, we had a blog that was going with it and other stuff. And, and as we started doing these reviews, these companies started realizing that we were getting better SEO listings for them. We were getting better traffic coming through what we were doing than what they were doing internally. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. And they started asking me to, to freelance for them. And I said, no, you know, I've, I've, I've got a really good thing going on here. You know, this is, this is just a kind of side project. But eventually the CEO shut the venture capital firm down and, and was super gracious to us all. He gave us amazing severance packages, set me up with enough money that I could basically say, you know what, I'm going to take a year off and I'm going to see if this works. I'm going to see yeah. if this can happen. I'm going to see if this turns into something. And, you know, the first year, I think we did $30,000 in business and it okay. was, you know, almost nothing. It was just myself in a basement working 20 hours a day, um, yeah. writing reviews, coding, learning more about SEO and, and whatnot. And then the next year we did a hundred thousand dollars and then we did a million dollars and then we did multi millions of dollars. And it, it kind of just expanded into this thing as we started realizing that the firearms industry was the next big push because there's such a, old mentality to an industry that's been around as long as they have. Mm -hmm. Everything was print-based. Everything was good old boy network-based. 
there was a barrier to entry. You know, if you've ever walked into a gun store, it's, it's incredibly uncomfortable for a yeah. lot of people, right? So we wanted to try to show companies that they could make this more accessible to the general public. They could make this uh, enjoyable and fun. It doesn't have to be this, this gritty, tough cowboy mentality for everyone, right? And we took a different approach and, and here we are now, you know, 16 employees and, and growing and expanding at a very fast rate. And kind of all happened by accident, to be completely honest. That's a that's a fantastic story. What so in the early days, were you actually selling firearms or were you always helping, you know, helping companies who sold firearms? What what, what direction was that? So we've never sold firearms. Okay. Um, that's that's never been a, a business, you know. I learned a long time ago when I was in the brokerage industry. We we had we were lucky enough to have motivational speakers and and, and um, individuals come in that were able to kind of let us look at the world in a in a different paradigm. Uh, shifting paradigms was a huge part of what we were taught, and understanding that the person that's on the other end of the phone doesn't necessarily look or see the world the same way that you do. Yeah. Really to look at that. But one of the things that he taught us is that the people that made the money in the gold rush were not the individuals that were digging for gold, right? Mm -hmm. Some of them hit, some of them didn't. The guy that consistently made money every single time was the guy that was selling shovels. So we took a very strong approach to say, we're not looking to compete against our customers. We're not looking to push out. I'm not looking to be a retailer. We are a support team. Mm -hmm. uh, we will let you do what you do and we'll help you do it better. And that, that was really a fundamental core. And it's something we hold to this day. We don't sell any products. We only help our clients sell more. Interesting. Okay. So, so if, if I was a, a, a gun dealer, what types of services would you provide me? You know, how, how does your company work? How do I you know, benefit from that as a, as a you know, gun dealer? So we, we work in every, every sector that touches the firearms industry. We work with publisher companies and figuring okay. out how to get more push to their traffic. We work with manufacturers that are trying to work on a branding basis. And we do work directly with retailers. So when it comes to retailers, one of the first things we look at is, is their website, right? Mm -hmm. is, it, is it a static, you know, the amount of scrolling 90s marquee, marquee, you know, buy from us yeah, you know, that, yeah. that, that we saw when I first started in this industry was, was amazing to me. I was, I was blown away that anybody could do business like this. So the first thing we do is try to make, you know, mobile friendly websites that are clean, that are concise. Um, a lot of these places didn't have calendars because they didn't know how to update to be able to say what days they were doing CPL classes or what days they're having training events or, or anything of that nature. So it was really a black hole. It was nothing more than a fancy yellow page listing. Mm -hmm. So we do that. Um, then we would focus them in through Yelp and, and local Google search to be able to find individuals that are close enough to be able to go to that base. And the, the biggest thing that we've always pushed to all of these individuals is don't rely on other people's sandboxes. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but you know, Facebook is a sandbox that so many people spend so much time and so much money. Facebook came out to turned around and became incredibly anti-gun, their prerogative and their choice. But when you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to millions of dollars, like some of our clients did before bringing us on board to build yeah. a Facebook following and then not be able to reach them, you're not in control of your own destiny. So we've always pushed your own organic content, blog content, local search content, and, and email acquisition. Email has been 
one of the biggest things that we've seen make a huge difference for small companies because it's it's very affordable to do, especially on a small level. Yeah. Uh, but if you're a, a, a local, you know, Joe's gun shop and you've got two or 3,000 emails, the ability to reach out to those consumers that are not stepping into your store and let them know what's happening is huge mm-hmm. without having to worry about the cost of snail mail and, and some of the other uh, more expensive ways to reach this user base. It's, it's incredibly efficient to send out mailers. And, and we've really focused around doing, again, what companies do, distilling it down and doing what they do best and just being able to find new ways to, to let people know that. It's, it's low-hanging fruit for almost all of these companies. Yeah, yeah. So what types of companies, you mentioned, you know, you're dealing with, with you know, retail and, you know, the gun store owners. Who would be your ideal client, would you say? What, what, what does that, that profile look like? Well, you know, as a, as a father, I like to look at the fact that all my kids are a little bit different. And I don't love any of them more than I love any other one of them. Uh-huh. We like exciting. Right. We like we like the ability. So obviously, you know, companies that have a larger budget allow us to do things that we can't always do. You know, if if you're coming in and you're, you know, Joe's local gun shop and there's a 60 mile radius, maybe that you can really pull from. There's only so much we can do. Right. Mm -hmm. But when we start getting into some of the manufacturers that we deal with and working on a national, you know, brand advertising where we can get TV, we can get radio, we can. We can go and spend the money to go do a hunt and, and, and film that and then have this really cool, unique content that we can break up a whole a bunch of different ways. That's fun, right? So it, it doesn't necessarily mean that that makes them more of an ideal client, but it does make what I get to do fun. And we always yeah. try to push the envelope. We always try to do something neat. We always try to work with whatever we have. So, you know, that ability to kind of do new and unique things is, is always really what we're looking for in a client and growth. You know, when we look at a client and we see they've been doing everything great for a really long time and, and you know, it's, it's going to be just picking up and maintaining it, that doesn't really interest me, right? Yeah. I, I want the guy who, you know, maybe had a great brand in the 80s or 90s and it was, it was just doing absolutely fantastic and they didn't keep up with the, the changes and they've mm-hmm. kind of fallen behind in the digital world and they rely on us to come in and revamp the entire digital. We revamped everything Walter was doing their digital website, their digital frontage, how they were reaching out to, to dealers. That was a huge thing. You know, when we worked with DeSantis, New York-based company that's been family-owned and started by making undercover rigs for, for the undercover detectives on NYPD, right? Okay. Close to my heart, right, growing up there. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was a company that relied on catalogs for a huge percentage of their sales. And being able to revamp their website with them really bring a social media presence that people are engaging with is fun and cool and new when, you know, this is a company that's been around for, for 40 years. So those are the types of things I really like to do. That's, that's, that's really cool. What, what are some tips that you could give to someone who, you know, might be, might be trying to do it themselves or, you know, trying to implement some of these, you know, new technologies, what are some of the things that you have seen that you know, really worked? You touched on email already and you touched on, you know, not, not playing in other people's sandboxes or other, you know, Facebooks or Instagram or anything like that, not spending too much time there. What, what, what types of things would you suggest that they should, should try and, you know, what, what do you think would have the biggest impact for them? Almost always email is, is the biggest impact. You know, anytime you can get a consumer that's walked into your store or who has made a purchase from you 
and find a way to get back in touch with that individual, that's that's going to be a, a great thing. Mm-hmm. The other side of it is 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 really the answer really comes down to you should do what you do best, right? The thing that I learned from my father was the fact that if you're not an accountant, hire a bookkeeper with the first series of money that you make, right? We spent two years where I did not take a penny out of this company. Everything went into hiring more staff. And I had friends looking at me like, why are you you living like this with the numbers that you're putting up and the things that you're doing? And I said, well, I don't don't do bookkeeping. They're like, why why can't you? Why would you pay somebody to do that? Because I I don't do it, right? And I think when it comes to digital experience, if your job is building a widget or you're, you know, we deal a lot in the firearms industry with guys that have built companies because they were engineers and they, they saw a problem and their, their engineering brain said, this, this shouldn't work this way. And they start trying to start a business. And it turns out that like business is really not their forte, engineering is. So the first thing I would say is, is, is find somebody you trust, find somebody that you're, you are comfortable working with and let them do it for you, right? Mm-hmm. Websites are an easy place to find somebody to, to update your look and feel. It's the equivalent of the digital handshake these days. Get those consumers in through your email side of it. If you don't know how to do it, get somebody that knows how to do it. Social media, if you don't know how to do it, the easiest way to do it is, is look at your competitors. What are they doing? Are they doing it right? Are they doing it wrong? And if they're doing it right, take a look at what they're doing. You know, If they're getting a lot of engagement and you're not, you know, maybe you need to change it up and, and add some more lifestyle, put your feeling into it. The one thing that Gat was successful in is, is that Gat is a, is, a, is a 100% vision that I had and said, this is what I'm going to create in the market. And clients come to me because they like that. There's plenty of clients that won't work with me because they don't like, you know, who I am and, and, and how I do things. But I don't want that as a client anyway. So I think yeah. the same thing with your business becomes the important thing. If you're looking for a specific consumer base, if you're looking for a certain individual, figure out what that individual wants or identifies with and making sure that your messaging that you're putting out meets that person. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that that's great advice. And there, uh, I know I still do it sometimes too, where I'll say, oh, I can, I can do that myself. And it, you're right. It always comes back and bites you and, and uh, it's best just to spend your time on, on what you do do correctly and, and best. Obviously you're dealing with some of your clients are dealing with, you know, storefronts and physical stores. And, you know, if you're, if you are, are giving them advice to, you know, collect email addresses, what, what would be the best way that you have, have found in your experience for a physical store to actually collect email addresses? I imagine, you know, again, running ads and running it to, you know, driving those people to a, to a website where they can enter in their email address. That would be one way. Is there, is there any way that you found where, you know, you've physically been able to collect them, you know, because someone's walked in the door or made a purchase, you know, physically, is there any effective ways? Yes. And, and, and frankly, those are the best, you know, an email address that I get from doing a contest or a giveaway online is certainly going to bring eyeballs in. But the, the ability to acquire that person that's actually made the, the pilgrimage to your store, that is a much more invested consumer. Mm-hmm. And we typically see that the LTV on those consumers is two to 300% higher than what we see on individuals that are just buying from that company online. Mm-hmm. And then they're about a five to 600 times more return than somebody that we picked up as an organic wow. lead on the internet. Yeah. So, We've absolutely, I would agree that that's, that's, that should be a focus. 
As far as ways to do it, I mean, there's there's very simple ways if you have a point of sale software that allows you to acquire the email address. You know, the biggest problem most companies have is they're so focused on getting sales that they're afraid to ask for anything more. Yeah, right. Um, you know, at point of sale, you should make sure that your cashier is saying, hey, would you, would you like us to email a receipt? Can we put a copy of your email address on file? Or would you like to receive notice of when we're doing flyers and, and, and have an email address? So you, you want them to opt in, right? You don't want to trick them into giving your email address. Yeah. But, you know, if you can get that at the point of sale, then that's ultimately ideal. And I always recommend that if somebody's purchasing something, always throw in the bonus add-on sale, right? If somebody's buying a gun, do you need lube? Do you need, do you need ammunition? Do you need a holster, right? Mm -hmm. So the biggest problem I've seen with most companies is never asking for what they actually need to succeed, whether it be an additional sale or an email address. The other mm -hmm. side of it that we've seen is, you know, the old school days of the fishbowl next to the cash register that you throw your business card into to do a drawing once a week or once a month. Those are still successful. You yeah. know, saying, hey, look, we're going to give away, a, you know, whatever it is, right? Once a month, once a week, drop your business card in or have the little cards that people can fill out because not everybody carries business cards anymore. Yeah. And throw that in. You know, those are great ways to be able to pick it up right from the best performing consumer you could possibly get. Yeah, no, and that makes perfect sense too. You know, I've, 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 uh, I've met quite a few direct mail campaign people and they, they have always said that, you know, if I, if I go and buy a, a list of, you know, people that fit a specific profile, that's, that's one thing. But if I have a list of buyers, you know, that have already bought and have already engaged, you know, that's a hell of a lot more valuable than, you know, than anybody else. So you, you touched on it briefly, but are, are there any strategies, I guess you can say, for that conversation for collecting that email address? Because like you said, I know that a lot of people are very apprehensive about bringing up, you know, anything extra, you know, the guy, the person standing there cashing out and, and, you know, I don't want to ask him for anything, anything else. Is there any, anything that you would suggest, you know, is it, is it a promo? Is it, you know, some type of uh what, what would be the right way to be able to present the, the asking of an email address? You know, what would it be for? What are some things that people seem to respond well to when you, when you make that ask? You always have to create a value add. You know, one of the things that I've, I've been cognizant of is, is email. Email has become less beneficial in the last two to three years as more and more companies are understanding that email is super beneficial. Just like Facebook became less beneficial as more and more companies realized that Facebook was beneficial. So anytime you get into a, a situation where there's a strong tool for you know making money as a business, more and more people are always going to do that and it's going to dilute the, the results. But mm -hmm. you know the, the key is to make a value, right? So when I hand over my email address at the point of sale, I'm, I'm handing it over for a reason. That reason can be as simple as saying, hey, we'd love to send you some information and save on printing the receipts. And while some people are environmentally concerned, that becomes a reason that it's worthwhile to give an email address. Mm -hmm. For other individuals, they're, they're super conscious of what they're spending. You know, I am on hundreds and hundreds of email lists, mainly because I love a sale. There's, mm -hmm. there's a few things in this world, me and, and my girlfriend are are adamant that, you know, sales are the only time to buy yeah. it, right? So I'll, I'll throw it out. I'll throw that email out almost every single time, but I won't unsubscribe. And the reason okay. I won't unsubscribe is because that two or three times a year that they send out that sales promo, yeah. and I am all over that, right? Yeah. So saying to them, hey, 
you know, we do two or three sales a year and we don't necessarily publish that or we know how life can be and how easy it is to get lost. Can you, can you give us your email address so we can let you know what those are? And, and the flip side of that is that if you're going to ask for it, you have to make sure that you deliver on whatever you say. Right? Yeah. There's nothing worse than the bait and switch. If, if you're saying, I want to send you two to three emails a year around specific sales, then you have to send two to three emails a year and that's it. Yeah. If you say it more in a general sense of, hey, we were doing weekly promotions or monthly promotions, would you like to sign up? Now the person's not going to be upset when they get one once a week or once a month. So always make sure asking isn't necessarily as important as framing what you're asking for and making sure that you deliver on that exact thing to the end consumer at the time. I love it. Yeah, that is great. You know, it's interesting. You're in the firearms industry, but the, this advice crosses over into pretty well, you know, any business. So, so certainly appreciate that. If somebody want to learn more about you or your products or services, what would be the best way to get in touch with you? Would you say? So the best thing is go to gapmarketing.com. We have a contact form on there that you can fill out what your specific questions are, what you're looking for, and set up a consultation. We can usually get you through an initial consultation that'll go through uh, one of the, the account reps that we have. Every one of these people has worked in marketing for a series of years, has been, has been working with me and seeing how we do business here, which is a little bit different than, than how some of our competitors do it. So they're spun up on that and then they can have a good conversation with you or, or refer it up to me if it's something that we really need to delve in. And especially if it's something super cool, I want to be involved. So. <laughs> Very cool. I love it. Charles, this is fantastic. Thank you for the time and thank you for being on Past the Secret Sauce. Thank you. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pass the Secret Sauce.